You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible, if you will, your copy of God's Word and find the book of John, the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, and with technology, it allows us to do a little bit more with the Word each and every week, so if you have access to a phone or a tablet, I want you to open your Bible. Don't use your phone as the Bible. You can, but I'd rather you open your Bible, flip the pages, but I do provide the sermon outline on uh, pastorjohnbeck.com. It's just sermon notes and stuff I make available, and and uh, I try to include all of the scripture that I use. It's not necessarily a, a manuscript of a sermon that you would read. It's more of a listening following guide. Um, with that, I provide each week. So find John, John chapter 17. We're finishing up the, the high priestly prayer uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ as he is preparing for the, the garden, the arrest, the, the um trial, the crucifixion, and, and all that takes place with the Passion Week. And so it's a, it's a wonderful picture of, of who Christ is and who we are in relationship to him as we, as we think about this prayer, as he is praying to the Father. And, and uh, I, I keep going back to what would have been, what, three weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Matt was preaching the first part of, of John 17. It was the prayer that Jesus is praying for himself to the Father. Then he prays for the current disciples. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus praying for the future believers, the church. He's praying for the church to come and, and future believers. But Pastor Matt made a, a great picture that keeps sticking uh, real vivid in my mind. And he made reference to the, the, the veil that separated the holies of holies and how that the priest would have to enter through that veil uh, on a yearly basis and enter into the presence of the Lord. And the, the idea and the thinking is with this prayer, it is right before he enters the holies of holies, it is right before he accomplished that where the veil was torn. And as if Christ has his face pressed up against the veil, the entrance of the holies of the holies for us. And he is interceding for us as the high priest and he is, he is praying to the Father and one with the Father and one with the Son and one with the Spirit and he is praying. And so turn, if you will, to verse 20 of John 17. It's the last of the prayer and he's praying for the church. He's praying for what he knows will happen as those disciples receive the Holy Ghost 
And after his resurrection and ascension and he sends the spirit, he knows that those disciples will take that gospel message and immediately men and women and boys and girls will begin to hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and they will turn from their wicked ways and they will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we will see the beginning of the the church and the redemptive movement of the church and many upon many. Even as you read the book of Acts, you see Peter stand up and thousands repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ. And I think about that and our responsibility and and our calling to be a believer in in this, the power that follows that. Twelve followed Christ and a a handful were at the cross that even acknowledged that he was who he was. But yet with the giving of the word of God and the spirit of God, the people of God, we've seen millions come to know Jesus Christ. Could it be because the son prayed for us to the father? Verse 20, I do not ask for these only because remember last week we looked at Jesus praying for those 11, those disciples that were there with him. He says, I do not pray for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through their ministry, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I are in you. And throughout this this series of verses, we're going to see much about Christ in the Lord, the, the Son and the Father, the Father and the Son, and, and they in us. You see this, this unity of the Trinity, but we also see the oneness that believers have with Christ. So it says, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We've sung about the glory this morning, verse 22, that the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become, notice the word here, perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. And to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. We see that phrase there immediately. I didn't even have it in my notes. I immediately think about in Ephesians, it talks about even individuals, the same love that the father had for the son is the same love that the father has for those that believe. And notice the time frame. When? Before the foundation of the world. You want to talk about an eternal love. Think about that. Verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Don't miss that. The Lord himself says, I will continue to make your name known. And that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's bow. Lord, words cannot express this morning the thankfulness and the gratitude we have for you. Just as we look at this prayer.
And even at this point, before you knew of this, before you went to that cross, you knew the agony that you would face and the persecution and the ridicule, the, the, the physical suffering and the spiritual separation and all that took place that day on the cross. But Lord, even now you are praying for us that we may be one and that Lord, we may be your witness and this idea that we may be in your presence. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and I pray that as you prayed, we can begin to see you differently in a true biblical sense of our Redeemer and our Savior and that we can begin to look at our life and the precious gift of our salvation and the significance that our life should be as we live as one with you and for your glory. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There's three things I want us to consider this morning as we look at the word. We're going to see this prayer, and, and I just simply looked at this prayer that Jesus is praying for these things to take place. And one, I think we see Christ is praying what I want to say, a gospel, a gospel unity that we could be one and, and truly grasp what it means to be one with the Lord and one with one another. We see this gospel witness that what the Lord is asking is based on the church and who they are and their relationship with me, Father. I pray that they would be a, a gospel witness to the ends of the earth. And then he prays for this gospel destiny, this gospel presence that he would be with us now. But then think about this. One day, think about this. One day we will truly behold the glory of Jesus Christ. I have often said that when those go before us, we are sad. But oh, can you imagine the rejoicing when our loved ones come into the presence of Christ and truly behold his glory. But yet I also believe that we can behold that glory as we live in the now and that already and not yet. Well, let's look at the word. Let's look at those first few verses and see God's, uh, the father receiving the prayer from the son for this gospel unity. Notice there in verse one, when Jesus is, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 20, when Jesus is praying, he says, I do not ask for these, but for those who will believe in me through their word. So he realizes that there is going to be something that takes place that is going to unite the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and those that are his. It's really important to understand that. God loves the world. There's a, there's a general love for all humanity. I liken it to uh, a lost person can see a sunset and go and feel good about it. A lost person can have a grandchild and understand the love of, of a grandchild. And so there's this, for God so loved, there's this general love that God has for mankind. Romans 1 talks about this general revelation. But what we're talking about here in this type of, of union is that, that special relationship that can only be had when one repents of their sin and they place their faith in Christ. An unbeliever can share in the blessings of the God of creation, but a truly born again child of God is only in the presence of God and who he is because of what the son has accomplished. 
That is a, a unity that can only be experienced as those have received the message of Jesus Christ, that they've repented of their, their sin and they have placed their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through the word. As the disciples immediately are filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter two, you begin to see the church being the church. I want to encourage you to come back tonight. We're looking at the makeup of the church, the anatomy of the church, what the church stands for, what the church ought to be about. And you can see in that, it's, it's, this is what we do is we go through a lesson like we're going through on Sunday nights. All we're doing is taking the church of the New Testament and asking ourselves if this is us. That's all we're doing. Anytime we have a Bible study, we're saying, what does the Bible teach about this? Here's a great way to look at it. What did they do? Are we doing it? Jesus said, because of what they do with the message of who I am will impact society. They believed the word. They believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They proclaimed a message that God is holy and is righteous and he is a, a jealous God and a demanding God and is a God that expects literally sinless perfection. But yet man is sinful and they can never pay the price of that sin. But because of the love of that father, he sent a perfect son that could pay the perfect price for the sinfulness of man. And Jesus Christ died on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for the sin of humanity. And then we see individuals understanding that this holy God and their sinful, depraved nature, but yet they realize what the Son has done for their sin and they call on the name of the Lord and they ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive them and they bow their knee to Jesus the Savior as the Lord and they become new creations in Christ Jesus and they begin to live their life for Jesus Christ because their sins have been forgiven and they understand that now they can come into the presence of a holy God because of the blood that was shed for them by Christ. And they are gloriously saved. That is the word that must be believed to be a believer. Jesus says, I don't pray for them. I pray for those that will respond for what they have to say, the word. So this prayer for unity is one that is as one with us. So it's a kind of a, a God unity. Notice verse 21. That they may be in us. Look at verse 23. I in them and you in me and they may become perfectly one. Go back to 21. They may be in us. Verse 23. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Verse 23. This is what Jesus is praying. Lord, I pray for a gospel unity. They in us. Now let's just sit down for a minute. You're sitting. I can't wrap my hands around that. I mean, I try to wrap my arms around me in Christ. Christ in me. I can't do it. My mind does not wrap around that because I know who I am. 
and I know who Christ is and I know what Christ did for me and I know who God is. But see, that's what makes the gospel the good news. That an old sinner like me can have his sins forgiven and it doesn't matter what we have done as long as we understand what Christ has done for what we have done. And we repent of our sins and we repent of those. We place our faith in Christ. We say no to the old life. We say no to being dead in our trespasses and sin. And we realize that Ezekiel talks about a, a valley of dry bones. We are new creations in Christ. And as the Bible would say, we are born again, new creatures in Christ Jesus. At that moment, we become one with Christ. And Christ becomes one with us. If you don't believe me, listen, turn to John 15. Look at John 15. I'm going to read a lot of the verses in the first part of John 15. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. John 15, Christ in me, me in Christ. I am the vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me... Where's that branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruit. So we see this picture that a, a, a branch, being a believer, is attached to the vine, and that vine is in Christ. Verse 4. Skip to verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. We see this perfect union. That we are one with Christ and Christ is one with us. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. A true believer is abiding in Christ with their, you could almost look at it this way, it's not what you've done with your head, it's what you've done with your head and your heart. A knowledge of who Jesus Christ is is one thing, but that knowledge should lead to the main thing, a born-again experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there are a lot of people that understand what Christ has done, but they don't understand what Christ has done and what that means to them. It's not that what Christ has done, and I can believe what Christ has done, and there's my get-out-of-hell-free card. Have you ever heard that reference before? Okay, so I'm a believer. Check that box. I'm a believer. No, I'm a sinner that has been redeemed and I place my faith in Christ and I abide in him. He is my all. He is my everything. As I abide in him, he abides in me. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withered. That's a pretty explicit picture. Notice what else it said. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If we're not abiding in Christ, if we don't have that heart spiritual relationship with Christ, the picture is that the vine dresser comes and the gardener comes and he takes that vine and he throws it into fire. You know what fire represents in Scripture? Judgment. How do we determine what a true believer is? Someone that has Christ in them, and they are in Christ. And like I've said, through repentance and faith, by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Skip to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now just, I couldn't help but just keep going back to that because it's all throughout this text. How much do you think the Father loved the Son? How much of love do you think that is? Look pretty good? A lot? Could you just put a put a... Some type of description, the father loves the son this much. You couldn't put it into words. You you cannot put into words the love the father has for the son. Notice what the word says. So I have loved, as the father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. Need a little help this morning? The father loves you as he loved the son. See, there's the idea, I think, in the world that we live in. I'm going to talk about some of those things tonight a little bit, just taking society and culture and and what the world would view and how we can make decisions about these things based on the church. We've been talking about being that church that is, is being obedient and faithful, but yet there's so much junk out there. What do we do with that junk? How do we how do we interpret this junk of culture and live a certain way? I would tell people this, the Father does love you. God so loved the world. God loves you. See, we throw that word around. God loves you. God loves me for who I am. When I abide in the Son and I'm one with the Father. God, let me say this very clearly, God hates sin. And I'm going to tell you this, he will always judge sin. I've heard stories this week, and you know, not stories, facts about men in ministry. I don't get it. I just can't. I can't understand a pastor thinking he can be some way up here, and another way Monday through Friday, and expect God and expect God to be okay with it. How many of us are saying one thing and living another thing, and expecting God to love you for it? And we're living in sin and we're dabbling in sin and we're doing things we know we shouldn't do. And we say, the God, well, but God loves me. Yes, God loves you, but he, he hates sin. And he wants you to love him in a way that we're living our life based upon that love upon us. You know, one of the great things about the love of God is, is I pray and I seek his face and I'm in his word. He shows me all those things. I mean, shared with Sharon the other day, we were talking about some of the things that we were talking about, about pastors. I said, how in the world can you be in the word every day and still live open and disobediently unto the Lord? God does love us. And he wants to do, the the world said God loves you and he wants to do great things for you and you just believe in yourself and you can do it. That is right. If you are immersing yourself into the presence and the face of a holy God and you love him and you know that he loves you and he said we are one. He will do great things through you. He does care about you. He does want your joy to be full, but it's based on his love for you. And his love for the son. And the penalty his son paid for that sin. 
So he prayed that we would be one, Christ in me and me in Christ. Listen to Galatians 2.20, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, think about this statement, but Christ who lives in me. I think sometimes we take Christianity as kind of an earthly relationship, that I, I know someone. And I come into the presence of someone. Like on Sunday mornings, I see a, a lot of you for the first time this week on a Sunday. Some I see on Wednesday. And it's, it's like we, we catch up. Hey, hey, how'd the week go? And I always say that. How'd your week go? And I think we think our relationship with the Lord is that way. And, it, and I think sometimes we do it for the wrong reasons. Sometimes I think we just don't know. For the wrong reasons, I think sometimes we think God is just something we set on a shelf somewhere and we, we take him out of a drawer on Sunday morning and it's like a, I always kind of look at it this way, it's like a, a political party. I belong to this party, I'm a Christian, I do this, I do that and God is an object that is out there that is just something that sits on a shelf somewhere. Some of us, I think, don't understand that and we think we have that relationship with God and we don't know it should be different. No, God is not something out there that we just sit around and and that God is with us. He is not someone I need to catch up. How'd your week go? God knows how the second's going. When I pray, I'm not praying, Lord, if you're out there, no, Lord is with me. He is with us. He uh, abides with me. But Christ, I mean, think about this. When you get saved, you're able to say, but Christ lives in me. That's a pretty close relationship, isn't it? It's not about religion. It's not about what church you go to. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Christ has done. And Christ takes up residence with you. Christ with me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is Galatians 2.20. Who loved me and he gave himself for me. At times, I don't think I'm very lovable. Would you admit to that? You can say yes. Because sometimes you're not very lovable. Okay? Okay? I've often said, I, you know, it's easy to stand back in the, the preachers used to stand back in the back of the sanctuary, you know, and, and uh, where I'm, I'm standing down front. I mean, it's real easy for Miss Gail Odom when she walks by me and goes, that's the best sermon I've heard all week. <laughs> it's, well, I know she's probably just can't remember what she's heard the rest of the week, but I, I, I take that and I say, well, sure it is. I like old Gail. Now, Gail, that's a spiritual woman right there. And then I get home and Sharon goes, what was that? I said, honey, I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to Gail. <laughs> Sharon never does that, but you, you know what I mean. Sometimes we base our relationship with the Lord on information. God is good because good things are happening. God is with me because all the things I want are taking place. God is good. I I know God is good because Gail said I preach good today. No, God is good. And in those darkest moments, in those major setbacks, in those things that the world throws at us that we didn't want thrown at us, God is still with us 
and he loves us. I love that. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Just remind, every now and then I just need to shout that to the devil and remind him of that. Whenever you're tempted to do things you know you shouldn't do and the, the devil keeps tempting you, just say, you know what, devil? Christ lives in me. It is I no longer who live, but Christ lives in me. So we see this prayer for gospel unity. What it is, it is a prayer that we will understand truly what it means to be saved. Who I am in Christ, who Christ is in me. Who is Christ? What is the gospel? It's so much more than just believing something and not going to hell and and you get to go to heaven. That's part of it, but there's so much more to the holiness of God and the depravity of man and the great news that Jesus Christ died on that cross to to pay the penalty for that sin and that we can have our sins forgiven and we can be new creations in Christ. It's understanding what the gospel truly is and how it changes your life and the joy that you have as a follower of Christ and you know that everything's going to be okay because you're one with Christ and it's understanding who we are in relationship with Christ I'm never going to be perfect I'm redeemed another way to say it is I'm a mess but I'm a redeemed mess but yet I'm trying we should be trying to live every day being conformed into the likeness of Christ See, that's what sin does. It gets in the way of that. It's kind of hard to have communion with Christ when you're living in, when there's things going on in your life that shouldn't be going on. Things that the Spirit has already showed us, the Spirit has already told us about, and the Spirit is convicting us about, but yet we keep doing it. So we have no communion with Christ when we have communion with the world. And so this prayer is that you would understand who I am and then understand who you are in relationship to who I am. Once we understand who Christ is and we truly understand who Christ is, there's no other place that we want to be than following after the Savior and the Lord of all humanity. There's been many a times throughout a given day that I could look at someone and say, they don't understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because if they understood the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they'd be all about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you truly understand who Christ is, Christ is a big deal in your life. If Christ is not a big deal in your life, I'd like to introduce to you the biblical gospel-centered Jesus Christ. Because once you meet him, your life is different forever. And that's why it's so important that we make the gospel a big deal. That's why it's so important. This is what's blowing my mind in our culture. We're trying to make sin not a big deal. God is not a big deal if sin's not a big deal. Because if sin's not a big deal, the death on the cross is not a big deal. We don't need the cross if there's no such thing as, as sin. Sin needs to be a big deal so Jesus will be a big deal. The bigger the depravity that I was before I'm saved, the more life I have understanding of what my sin was forgiven. We've taken sin and we're not making sin a big deal anymore. It's too offensive. It's not correct to to point out things. And it's so sad because all we're doing is diminishing what Christ did. He paid that price for the ugliness of sin. 
our sin. That's what he was praying. That we would be one. That we would be one with him. As Jesus would say, one with us, but also verses 21 and 22 as one with another. So often as we read and we're going through John verse by verse, there's always this prayer for the church, for the church to be one. Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Why is that? Why do we take that for granted? As we love the Father, the Son, we're going to love one another. We're going to love one another. We're going to treat one another right. We're going to live with one another. We're going to love the church. We're going to love one another. Christianity is not an individual thing that we just go through. You know, it's often, we don't talk about politics and religion. I've heard that my whole life. That's kind of, we, we say it's personal, but we really say, that's a person between me and the Lord. No, it is personal between you and the Lord. But once we're saved, we all become one. We're in this together. We can't do it alone. Christianity is not something that we do alone on our own time. You know, I just think about the practical things of church. You can't do church on your own. I used to deer hunt on Sundays. I killed my first deer on Sunday morning and came to Sunday school. For all the animal lovers, I apologize for that, but I shot a deer on the Lord's Day and went to Sunday school. But I have set up in a deer standing going, well, this is pretty nice. The sun coming up. The birds chirping. It'd be like sitting on your, on your back porch. If you're sitting somewhere on your back porch on a Sunday morning, you got your cup of coffee, you're, you're facing the east, the sun's coming up. You go, why do I need to go to church? Look at this. I'm beholding the glory of the Lord. Yeah, but the lost people is also beholding that same glory. I don't worship God by seeing a sun come up. I worship God by doing the things that I enjoy doing. I worship God by singing praises to his name and gathering as the people of God and hearing his word proclaimed as the body. That's worship. A lost person can sit in a deer stand and enjoy a sunrise. But only a believer can do what we've done this morning. It says that we are one with one another. Look at those verses. Look at verse 22. That the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. Who's they? Us. That we may be one, even as we are one. Now, I think there's two things that we can look at. Notice there uh, in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I've given them. This idea, this glory, I think one thing that we can consider, look, turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This will not be in the notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, the Lord is spirit, verse 17, 2 Corinthians three seventeen. Now, the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces because of what Christ has done, are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. That's where we get this idea of growing in Christ's likeness, that we are one to another and we're beholding the glory of the Lord as we grow together into the likeness of Christ from one degree of glory to another. It's like degrees of glory. 
For this comes from the Lord who is of the Spirit. And we see this idea that the Father gave the Son the glory and the Son gives us the glory. I think this glory is an understanding of the giving of the Holy Spirit which every believer has if they've truly given their life to Christ. A truly born again converted person has the Spirit of God abiding within them and what the Spirit of God will do will always manifest the glory of Jesus Christ. That, they, that the glory you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. And then I think we can also understand this idea of the glory is as Christ went to the cross. God was glorified in the death of the Son on the cross. In that agony and in that service and that penalty of sin, that propitiation, what Jesus sacrificially gave on that cross glorified the Father. You know the way that we live amongst one another should glorify the Father? I have known many a Christian over my years, and I probably am guilty at some point or fashion in my own time, that I know that I've got an issue with another believer. We're talking about believers here, that I know there's something going on with another believer, and my relationship with believers should bring glory and honor to the Lord. And so often that does not. So if you think about this glory... Think about a, a collectiveness of a church. So a church is made up of people. I haven't done this in a while. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, what? You millennials may not have ever heard that before. <laughs> this is old traditional church stuff right here. The people. We're, we're made up of people. So individually, joy manifest and beholds the glory of Christ. Christopher, Anna, Tor, we go on down. Individually, we individually manifest the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand, if we're dwelled and empowered and filled by the Spirit, we behold the glory of Jesus Christ. Take all of us and put us together as the body of Christ, and guess what happens as individuals live their life together in Avon Park? There's a Holy Ghost revival going on. Because the glory of the Lord is manifest. Just this week, somebody was telling me this. Somebody was talking about a church and they were, they were treating the church like it was a, a business. Hey, you need to come to our church. We've got this and you've got that and we've got this and we've got this and we've got like a salesman. Hey, we've got this, we've got that. Yeah, you need to leave your church. We've got this. Going Everybody needs to come to our church. Go to this church, go to that church, like, a, like it's Burger King, have it your way day. Somebody gave the analogy, and this is so true, this is how old I am. Leland, you'll appreciate this. We used to go to Milam's Guff Station. We didn't never look at the price at the Chevron Station. We just went to Milam Guff Station. You remember those days? We'd pull up to Milan's gas station and Mr. Milan would come up and fill it up with gas and check the oil and check all. The kids are going, what? Yeah, they checked your oil, went everything. We didn't shop around, we just went to Milan's. You know where we are as a church today? We're just shopping around. Oh, I can save a penny here. I know people that drive to Sebring and save a penny on gas and they're using five cents a gallon to go to Sebring. And that's what we're doing. 
Church is no longer about the collection of the glory and the manifestation of the Lord. It becomes a consumer mentality. I can get in. I can get out. I can have it my way day. This makes me this and this makes me this. It's not about the glory of God. It's about the glory of man. The glory of people. And the glory of self-satisfaction and the glory of needs. And Jesus says, I pray for the glory that is given by the Father into the Son, and as I give it to them, that I would be glorified. And when we come together as one, Jesus said, that is when I'm glorified. So he prays for this gospel unity. Secondly, he prays for this gospel witness. And there are two places we see in there, verses 21a, the beginning of 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, toward the end of verse 23, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as I have loved me. And I've already referenced this. As we come together as oneness, a oneness with the gospel, a oneness as the people of Jesus Christ, our life is on display of the gospel. A life on display is what we say and how we live. We live the gospel out, but we talk the gospel. We teach the gospel. We share the gospel truth. We're not a people that are wishy-washy. We're not a people that are necessarily looking for a fight or trying to be antagonistic about everything, but we are people that believe the truth. We embrace the truth, and we share the truth. We share the gospel, but we also are people that live that gospel out. It's one thing. There have been times I want to tell people, please don't tell people you go to church here. I tell you about that little story years ago. We had a great idea. We're going to give free T-shirts of our youth group to everybody in the high school. That was a great idea for about 10 minutes. Then we realized that the entire, well, a lot of people in the high school was walking around with our church youth group T-shirts on. Not a good idea. You're riding around seeing people drinking beer and carrying on, smoking meth and everything. Could you please take that church T-shirt? Thank you. Can I have that shirt back, please? My bad. I mean, there's actually some people I've encountered. We need to have like a, uh, like a, a lanyard with an ID. Could I have that back, please? We are, we are revolting your, your privilege. Why? Because the way you live your life. Because your life does not manifest that. Please don't mention Jesus Christ if you're living in sin to your lost friends. At least don't let, don't let the world think Jesus is okay with that. That is a display of the gospel. That is when Jesus said, Lord, get them to be a witness as they are one with me and they are one with another. Let them glorify me. Let their life be on display. I was thinking about that and I got thinking about different ways to say it and I got looking at presentation, demonstration, gospel witness and I, I got in my, in my looking at that in pastoral sermon outline stuff, I got looking at this idea of a presentation and a demonstration. And I liked it. Our life should be a demonstration. You know, a presentation is kind of like, well, these are these, these are these, these are these. It's kind of a, an object that you may be seeing a picture of. A demonstration, you can just say, here. A presentation is a picture of a pen. This is a good pen. A demonstration is, here's that pen. Let me, sh- let me show you how it works. Some of us have a presentation of the gospel. I'm saved and I know I'm going to heaven when I die. We need to be some gospel demonstration. I'm saved and I know I'm going to heaven when I die. And let me show you how I'm living my life in between. 
Let me show you what Christ is doing in my life. He doesn't need any more false presentation or false worship or false anything. He needs a demonstration of a blood-bought, redeemed child of God living the life out. You want to glorify the Lord? You want rich blessings to be poured upon your life? You want to be abiding in the vine? Then go demonstrate what Christ has done in your life so the world will see it. And if you're living contrary, the world may applaud you and think you're the greatest thing in the world. And every day, the Holy Father is looking into your heart and your mind, and he knows just nothing but a lie. I know what that feels like. He's praying for this gospel witness. You know what Avon Park needs? A gospel witness, a people that get it, a people that believe in it, a people that believe that Jesus Christ is the only answer. And then last, we'll close with this. He prayed for this gospel destination, this, this, this gospel presence. Don't miss this. Look right there in verse 24. Verse 23. No, it is 24. Father, I desire that they also who you have given me may be with me where I am. A gospel destiny, a gospel destination, a, a gospel presence. Father, I desire that they may be where I am. You gave me, that you gave me may be where I am. I love the idea that God gave us to Christ. When God gave me to Christ, God was saying, this is mine. Think about that for a second. That portrays ownership. When the Father sent the Son, this one is mine. Jesus looked at the Father and said, those that you have given me. Boy, you want to talk about a, a biblical confidence. I'm going to be okay because I'm his. We think about the doctrine of perseverance of the saints and, and losing salvation, and I believe that you do not lose your salvation if you've truly been born again. It just makes, logically, it makes sense to me. Why? He gave me to Jesus. Is God an Indian giver? Think about it. Hey, I'm going to give you one. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know it was really John. I've known him since the foundation of the world, but I didn't know he was quite a mess. I'm taking him back. I didn't, knew he, I didn't know he couldn't do it. Let me have that one back. No, don't overthink it. We are his. He knows who we are. He knows what we're doing. He knows what we're capable of. He knows what we're walking through. He knows what the world is throwing at us because we are his. He sent me to him and I am his. And there where he is, I am. We say this often and I might Say it when I close in prayer. I don't mean to say it. It's one of the things I don't mean to say. You don't mean to say, but we say it anyway. Lord, be with us. Well, where's it going to be? As a believer, I know where the Lord is. Lord, be with us. Where did he go? Take the offering to the bank? We're waiting on him to come back? Lord, be with me today. He is with you today. If you're his, live like he's there. 
And so we have this already and not yet. I'll close with this. Last few statements. Throughout scripts, you see an already and a not yet. You know my take on life. I'm going to live to be 100. I'm 52. I'm halfway home. This is true. I make a light of me being old all the time. The older I get, the sweeter relationships become. I had a random thought the other day, and I almost called Brantley and Bryce and Emily and at one time and said, it's kind of, it's not, it, just, it just hit me. I almost picked up the phone the other day and said, love your grandparents now. Because once they're gone, they're gone. I think I was thinking about George Ann and the way my grandmother prayed over my life for so long. And I thought, man, I wish I could talk. I wish she could have, I wish I could talk with Nana. I wish I could go back. So the older I get, homecomings are going to be sweeter, okay? I'm looking forward to my homecoming with everybody. And I think the older I get, we begin to understand what a reunion with Jesus Christ is going to be all about. And I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but it's going to be a wonderful place, and I'm going to behold the glory of Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to get to see everybody else's there, but more than that, I'm going to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. But there's also this now. I can behold the glory of Jesus Christ today. I'm not alone. Jesus Christ prayed that where he is, I am. The Great Commission, go ye therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them all things. And, and lo, I will be with you. So he prayed for this gospel destiny. I use the word destiny and then because it's one of those things, I found an English word to say what I wanted to say and that's not real good for preaching, but it is good here. Because destiny, the English word, conveys what this destiny will be like biblically. It is an inevitable, irresistible course of events, our destiny. It is the power or agency that determines the course of events. It is something that is to happen or has happened to a particular person or thing. It conveys the idea of lot or fortune. My destiny is in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the here and in the now and nothing's going to change that. And my Savior prayed for it to happen and it did. Gosh, what a prayer. Again, I go back to what Pastor Matt said the other week with Jesus' face mashed up against that veil. He said, Lord, Father, unite them as one. Father, give them a witness. Father, let them behold that destiny and that presence that they can be with. It doesn't have it written in the word, but then he says, amen. And in verse 18, he goes to the cross. For the sin of those that will place their faith in him. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, uh, there's nothing we can add to the word that is written in scripture.
So I pray this morning we have heard the word and we respond to that word. And as we sing about the Holy Spirit and the the living breath of the word of God and the spirit of God, I pray that we understand who we are. That we understand this oneness with you and one another. And this witness in life that we should be living as we live in the destiny of your presence. Lord, as we sing, confirm the word in our hearts so that we may respond by faith and obedience. And this we pray in Christ's name.